Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sound Portland podcast. Uh, today I am joined with a coach, Mike Boyle. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks for having me as usual. I love doing these. Uh, you're welcome. It's um, a timely discussion. Um, we're going to talk maybe a little bit about the new book, but talk about training, talk about life, talk about life and training, and we'll, and we'll see where see where it goes. So um, what's the title of the new book? Designing Strength Training Programs and Facilities. Cool. Let's work back from that. Start with the end in mind, right? So how, um, in your approach, like, are you thinking when you're, when you're writing a training program, are you thinking about the facility you can do it within or you, are you looking to build a facility that can facilitate your program? Um, I think it's a little bit of both, which is why I started the book. That's the first chapter, because I think what happens a lot of times is People write bad, they write good programs and then realize they can't do them. That was one of the things that I was encountering a lot when I started people, and this goes back, this was early 2000s, probably late 90s. People would come up with something and say, yeah, you know, I want to do five sets of 10 back squats, but I have two squat racks and a hundred kids. And I'm like, well, you can't do five sets of 10 back squats with two racks and a hundred kids. So you've got a logistical impossibility. So I started to really get into the logistics of trying to get people to think about, okay, how do you, how do you set up the weight? Because people would say things like, Oh, you know, I want back extensions and I want glute hams and I want a chest supported row and I want this and I want that. And I described it as the Noah's Ark gym where, Mm -hmm. you know, people, they get two of everything. And then you think I bring my team in and I can't get an efficient workout done. It's like, yeah, well, because you designed your room poorly. So I really started to work on this idea of showing people what I would call how to design the factory, because the idea mm-hmm. really want to have a factory where everything moves like an assembly line uh, for the old people that are listening. I always use, there's a great, I love Lucy clip, which was a great comedy show, probably in actually probably late fifties, actually here, mm-hmm. but where they're working on the assembly line, wrapping candy. Right. And the, the woman says, okay, you know, you got to have to wrap the candy, put it in the box, wrap the candy, put it in the box. And, they start talking to each other and they realize the candy's going by and they start shoving candy in their mouth and putting it in their pockets. And that's a lot of coaches who, like you said, they don't begin with the end in mind. You don't look, I always tell people, all right, how many people are you going to have in the room at a time? Mm. And that's where you start from. People will ask me, well, I want to design this room. I'm like, okay, how long's the wall? Mm. And like, what do you mean? How long's the wall? Like, how many racks can you get? Cause you need, you know, we went into, you need, 10 feet for every Olympic bar. And then people will say stuff like, no, they're only seven feet long. And I'm like, yeah, but they have to have space between them. So 10 feet gives you a foot and a half on either end of the bar, gives you three feet between bar ends. So when I'm helping somebody lay out a weight room, it's like, okay, how many multiples of 10 do you have? That's how many racks you can get, or that's how many platforms you can have. And it's trying to think all this stuff through. And then it's not buying machines that make bottlenecks, whether you like you know, you might say, I like belt squats. I like reverse hypers. I like glute hams, whatever it is. That's great if you like those. But if you can't have enough of them to service your group, mm-hmm. then don't have them at all because all they end up being is space stealers because you look at it and think, oh, I love that machine that's over there. Of course, no one uses it because I can't put it in the program. Yeah. Because so for us, we always think if we, we ideally want to have eight of everything, that's uh, one of our facilities is set up with eight, one is set up with six. And mm-hmm. And we try to have that set up that way all the time so that whatever we're doing, everybody can be doing it at the same time. No one's waiting in line. You're not thinking, oh, 
well, I, you know, I'll go use this other piece. So we don't have, we have almost no single station machines at all. We have a couple of MVP shuttles because I think they give you a, a quality of being able to work with less than body weight that you can't get mm -hmm. with other things. I have a couple of Pilates reformers that I'm using right now for groin work, specifically yeah. some of our injured athletes. But beyond that, we have a very repetitive, if someone came in our weight room, they would look and think, wow, you've just got a lot of the same stuff. Mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. racks and benches and boxes and kettlebells and we're literally trying to set up now we think of it as pods where all the every pod is exactly the same yep. as the one next to it mm -hmm. so everybody has an 18 inch box everybody has a six inch little mini step everybody has a set of power blocks everybody has a, a kaiser machine everybody so that when we then design the workout we then can design the workout to fit the well-designed facility Mm. So that's why I said it's a little bit of both. Yeah, no, that's cool. There's some there's some really big big things that I can pull out of that. The the first thing that really comes to mind is the the romantic notion that strength coaches have with exercises and their programs, and then they forget the reality of it. Like you need ten foot for a seven foot bar, and thinking how well actually. Let's look at that big picture. If if we have so so many romantic connotations with quote unquote exercise porn, how effective is our training strategy? Oh, not very for most people. I again, because I think most people, most people are going backwards mm. in terms of they're trying to fit their likes. I call it the, you know beer and ice cream coaching. Right, I like beer and ice cream. Yeah, and so I, I you know I'm going to try to fit everything into that. Mm. And you get so many of those coaches where they're thinking, these are the things that I like. I like, you know, I'm a back squat guy or I'm, I look at some people and think, yeah, but gobble squats a lot easier until yeah. you get guys stronger and for a million reasons, but also like gobble squat, I can do that in my second block. I don't need the rack. Cause we're always looking and saying, okay, what's the rack exercise today? Yeah. And if we're trying to train a team, and people think, well, I want to do back squat. I want to do front squat. I want to do this. It's like, okay, well, for us, we need to, we need our racks to do chin-ups. Mm -hmm. So one day the rack is really just a chin-up station. Mm. Another day we, we bench press out of our rack. So our racks become our bench press station. We almost never use our squat racks for squats because we don't squat really. <laughs> we, like, we don't do back squats. So yeah, it, it ends up where, again, even the choices that you're making are always going to be based on it's what is the equipment going to allow me to do today with the group size that I have? That's really mm. what it comes down to. And I think, as you said, it's romanticizing, it's being a personal trainer, it's training yourself. Some people, they train one person and then they think, Oh, I'm going to do this. And you realize that's great. But if I give you a team, you know, mm -hmm. you're writing a book on speed training and team sport, right? It's entirely different. People always, I love to hear the track guys. Okay. Well, you know, you want uh, you want to rest a minute for every ten yards that you sprint. I'm saying, well, if, if you've got team sports, you're going to really screw up practice if you rest a minute for every ten yards you sprint because you're not going to get very many sprints done, and the coaches are going to be up your ass about everybody standing around because you're yeah. stand still for you know four minutes after they did a forty <laughs> yard sprint, forty meter, whatever it is. It so it's always ultimately about logistics, always whether you yeah. want it to be or not. If you're not a personal trainer. If you're not doing one-on-one -on -one work, it will always be about logistics. Yeah, I, I love that. Have you seen The Founder, the movie? No. 
with not. uh michael keaton it's uh the story of mcdonald's oh no I, you know it's funny i saw that the other day on netflix or someplace and i said i gotta watch that but you're right yeah. that's exactly that mcdonald's and i remember alan cosgrove used to use that analogy all the time in terms of you know we always talk about sort of the cook chef analogy mm. and and i mean you're not the chef at mcdonald's right you're yeah. not thinking you know how am i going to cook this burger and what am yeah. i going to put on it you're yeah. just another guy in the factory and that really I hate to say it, but that's good strength and conditioning. Good strength and conditioning is looking at it and saying, how many people do I have and how do I best impact? How do I best impact those people? Mm. And often it's not, as you said, by romanticizing a particular exercise. It's looking and thinking, wait a second, what's the best choice here for mm. this group? Mm. based on what we not what we want to do? Because it's not what we want to do. It's what we can do. You can have yeah. a lot of wants as you're coaching. I want to do this. I want to do that. I've gotten very much away from wants. Mm -hmm. And everything for us is very focused on, okay, what can we execute well given the space that we have? Yeah, it's that. Um, it's not even risk reward. It's it's efficiency. It's, it's almost like, I mean, I grew up around, uh, my granddad was a master carpenter. My dad worked in the building trade. Like, you know you know how to make things work well in those sorts of trades and it's the same thinking it's logic and it's how do we get people to almost go through our assembly line in order for them to to improve and not lose uh, and remove our own self-importance in the process i i kind of i'd love to hear you speak about this as i kind of when i was working with teams my goal was to actually make myself invisible in the weight room because oh, it, I, I, my favorite quote, the goal of the coach is to eliminate the coach. I used to love when people would come to watch, particularly when I had my Boston University teams, people would come to watch and they would marvel at the fact they'd be like, wow, everybody just comes in and does what they're supposed to do. And I said, yeah, you know why? Because the system is designed for that. The system yeah. is designed. Everybody, everybody knows exactly what the expectation is. Mm -hmm. And then they commit and they do it. Because yeah. we've made it, it's very systematic. Like you said, McDonald's, however you want to look, assembly line, all the words that you've used are all the right words because that's good strength and conditioning. And people say, oh, you got to individualize and you got to do this. I'm like, no, you really don't. You And you've got to do the opposite. When I went to work for the Red Sox, uh, one of the things that I did when the, the, the guy that was there before me sort of, all he really cared about was the major league team. So we have 40 guys in the major league roster. That was his responsibility. I got the big league roster. And I went in and said, no, strength and conditioning is going to trickle all the way down to our Gulf Coast League team, the lowest team, because we've got 200 players somewhere in that number that are all under contract that are playing at various levels, you know, mm. double A, triple A, single A, well, you know, whatever it is. And I said, everybody's going to do the exact same program. Every mm. guy, every everything is going to be organized. Everybody's going to foam roll. Everybody's going to stretch. Everybody's going to do the dynamic warm. Everybody's going to do a similar, maybe not an identical strength program, but a, a, a similar one that moves in a similar fashion so that it can be done efficiently so that we have a system mm. within our organization. We don't have, uh, I had another good friend one time when I was working, he said he was, uh, he was working for another company and he said, Mike, we have some incredibly talented strength and conditioning coaches. He said, but my job is like managing an artist colony. 
He said, now, you know, I've got one guy who's incredible with watercolors and I've got another guy who does beautiful charcoal drawings and I've got somebody else who wants to oil paint. Mm. He said, and that's not a system. I need, you know, basically everybody's got to be competent at drawing with a pencil. Yeah. That's really what you want. Like, okay, I need 20 guys who can draw me something that looks pretty similar with a number mm. two lead pencil. Mm. And that's that's always what I've stro strove, strived. I'm not sure what the uh, what the right word is. Striven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I, I absolutely love that because it's your and it's it's so important for because I, I see my, I'm thinking about myself in that story. I'm being really selfish here, like thinking how when I first entered, it was all about individualization until you realize that individualization was, was almost a, a, a magic word that doesn't really exist because it's, that's all it was. You're yeah. going to say, I'm going to make everybody an individual program, but we're all yeah. going to do some kind of squat. And we're all going to do some kind of, you know, posterior chain work. And we're all going to do some kind of push and we're all going to do some kind of pull. And the reality is if my first choice is the same for all of you, so we're actually all doing the same thing. Mm. And that's yeah. the reality. I'll give you another really good example that's in your world. I had one of my other good friends had just redesigned his weight room as I was going through this sort of uh, new speed awakening four or five years ago. I had kind of, I had run across Tony Holler and we had talked, you know, he was talking about the idea of recording, ranking, publishing. And the one thing my friend had said, you know, what do you think of the new weight room? I said, you don't have a sprint lane. He yeah. goes, yeah, I don't really have room for it i said move stuff take stuff out <laughs> yeah said, you know i just redid it i'm saying redo it again because when someone said to me if someone said now what's the number one thing you'd need mm. sprint lane yeah because i don't think there's anything more powerful than sprinting yeah. in your program and then people like well how long should it be i said i don't know how long's your space <laughs> yeah so for guys like you and i right where uh your environment and my environment is similar in terms of we can't get outside to run mm. a good percentage of the year. Mm. So for us, our sprint space is 40 yards long because our building is 120 feet long. Mm -hmm. But, and then people are like, Oh, you can run a 40 yard dash. I'm like, no, actually we can run a 25. <laughs> yeah. We need space to slow down. So yeah. our maximum sprint distance for eight months or seven months of the year is 25 yards. Mm. Because logistically that's what we have yeah. and it's the ability to you know i've had other people say well i think i can only get you know a, a space to run a five i'm like great run fives yeah. like i'd be absolutely fine with that if you said hey i've got i've got 15 yards and then people say well i can't run flies i don't have enough room okay don't run flies it doesn't matter i've got a great video of devin mcconnell who's now in uh arizona with the coyotes and the nhl team but he had maybe, I think he had about 20 yards in his room. So they literally did, they did tens and that was it. Cause they had 10 to start, 10 to slow down. You know, we mm. padded the end wall, you know, stuff yeah. so that people would be able to smack into, but it's developing the best program that you can mm. based yeah. on your logistics. I always, in my presentation, it's a strange person's quote to use, but it's a Maya Angelou quote, but it's basically do the best you can with what you have where you are. And that's ultimately what we should be doing as mm. strength and conditioning coaches. We should have the best program that we can have based on what we have for equipment and where we're doing it. Yeah. 
that's really freeing as well because you know when you think about the idealist in in strength and conditioning and there's the shiny sin uh, shiny object and but then you're then there's the con there's always the laughing contradiction is the former soviet like stuff that yes has brought over you at the version it's very systems driven and very thought in this way but then the same person will do the complete opposite trying to do that so not recognizing that in that like literally just what you've said do the best of what you can with what with what you've got requires logic and a thought process that can be distributed across 20 30 people at one time so it's repeatable it's brilliant it's uh same thing the, the voltaire quote common sense is not very common i mean it's amazing yeah. that i can have i can't tell you the number of times i've had the conversation with coaches where i've just said oh, well you can't do that and they kind of <laughs> look at you like well you know it's like it's like a little kid but i want to yeah look, i understand that you want to i i get it i'm 100 aware that this is what you want to do you can't do it mm. you do not have the physical capability of doing what it is that you want to do some people will look and say oh your programs are really low volume and they're like yeah because we have three blocks and we have to be able to move through those three blocks. And that allows us to do about three sets per block. That's just mm -hmm. the way that our programs break down. And some people think, well, you know, what if you want to do German volume training? I'm like, I would never do that. Cause I yeah. couldn't do, even if I thought 10 sets of 10 might work for somebody, mm -hmm. I can't logistically do 10 sets of 10 because yeah. even if we said the set takes a minute and the rest takes a minute, that's 20 minutes for that particular protocol. Everything that we do is two to three sets all the time. And the place that we struggle, and it was funny, we talked about this yesterday in our staff meeting, when we get stronger people, we have to get them to warm up faster because let's just say that you can, Sam can deadlift, you know, 200 kilos, right? So I've got to be able to do, you know, a, a 60 kilo warm up, and then I've got to be able to do, you know, 120 kilo warm up, and then I've got to be able, it's like, so we're just setting up bars and we're like, I was talking about like do two warm up sets, do your yeah. you know, 135 pound warm up set and then do your 225 pound warm up set and then go do something else because I need mm -hmm. to get you to, to 440 pounds or 200 kilos. And I need to do it in the 10 minute block that I have. I don't have time yeah. for you to do things in the way that we would conventionally do them. And I think that's where the, the lifter strength coach. Yeah struggles yeah whereas now when we look at sort of the the performance specialist the guy who's thinking speed and power isn't going to struggle as much because he's going to be able to get out of his own way he's going to be able to get out of the box yeah faster i mean yeah. i've got as i've written you know i was talking about i think it's i think i left it in the book but i wrote there's a um you know there's a, an article called there's a, a part called there's a reason there's a box mm-hmm and one of the things that I said is you, you can't be an out of the box thinker until you understand the box. Mm. Like you need to be the master of the box. When I'm the master of the box, you know, then I can be an out of the box thinker. When people say, I want out of the box thinkers, I'm like, well, you don't really want out of the out of the box thinkers if they haven't mastered the box. Yeah. Because those yeah. people can get you in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes stay in the box. It's safe. Yeah. <laughs> master the box. Yeah. And do you think on it when I say it's quite when I said earlier, it's quite freeing. Um like when and do you think that's why you know there's a high attrition rate in coaching it just gets so frustrated and burnt out because of, of the constant we need to do more 
and we need to try this new methodology. We need to be doing my programs not good enough when they've not mastered effective programming. I I think, and I'll probably get myself in trouble with this one a little bit, but I think the reason there's a high rate of attrition in just about every field is that there aren't that many people that are good at what they do. I think I always use the, the idea, the descriptive, that life is a bell curve. Mm-hmm. Everything. Sports is a bell curve. Coaching is a bell curve. Everything is a bell curve. And in terms of, and there's going to be a lot of people kind of in the middle of the curve on one side or the other. And there's going to be, you know, there's some people that are going to be one end that are really bad that are, you can't help at all. And then your really good people are going to be at the other end. Yeah. Your really good people are never the ones who are leaving or getting out or feeling burnt out because they got it figured out. Mm. And then it's figuring out how do I traverse the curve? How do I get up? How do I get on the other side? Yeah. And, and a lot of that is, it, you know, it's the, it's the, the grindy part, right? The education, the reading, listening to podcasts, the reading books, the, you've got to be, you've got to do the work. Mm. If you want to be good at something, you won't, especially coaching, you won't wake up someday and be good at coaching. Mm. You will get good at coaching by getting experience coaching. You'll get good at coaching by coaching, by making mistakes, coaching. I'm, I'm good because I'm 63 years old and I've been mm. doing it for 40, whatever, 42 years. Yeah. I've made lots and lots of mistakes but I've learned the good thing for me is I've taken those mistakes and I've moved forward consistently from those mistakes. That's why I say to people sometimes when I'm doing talks, I say, you really have to think about if you're sitting there thinking you don't agree with me, you should be asking yourself, why does this guy with 42 years of experience, why does this guy who might've been doing this longer than I've been alive think this way? Mm. And then examine that thought process and say, okay, what, what brought him here? particularly to a point that's in disagreement with me, because so many of us, that's what bothers people is that Mike doesn't agree with me. Yeah. You know, why, you know, why can't he just say that he likes back squats so that I can keep doing back squats? Why does he have to keep saying he doesn't think it's a good idea? Because I'm, I'm consistently challenging the sacred cow and that really makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so true. It's, it's, it's so true. Like, and I'll, and I, I've, I've similar, so similar sort of experiences, but it's kind of like a standard for for myself. And number one, be like, be before you question anything, be incredibly good at your job. And to get there, you have to ask lots of questions, and you have to. I think there's an evolution that comes with it in how you have to change the way that you think, in and re-examine your own thinking process to to find new levels i remember when i first started I, I spent a little bit of time with james smith the thinker and i was like oh you know i'd watched youtube <laughs> and i thought i knew the knew the business and he and he's a intelligent man clearly and and he was like as soon as you can actually apply training uh to a carpenter you're probably thinking in the right vein you're you're too narrow and myopic in your approach at the moment and it was a massive thing for me to think like that because then it was actually i can learn so much about what i do from other areas right and just never mind other areas but finding people that are better than you yeah at it and then figuring out why what are they doing that is Mm. them more rather because what we do is we look at successful people and we think you know it's the crab in the bucket mentality right yeah i'm going to try to keep pulling them down i'm going to try to tear them down i'm going to talk about 
why that person's not good or why I'm better than they are. Mm -hmm. Instead of looking and thinking, uh, the perfect example, I went, uh, one of my interns, I mean, one of my interns, God, he I was talking to him today, he's 44 years old, Mike Potenza, he's now, I think, director of performance for the Golden State Warriors, I think is his yeah. title. Yeah. But he had been an intern for Mark Verstegen at Interna International Performance Institute, which is now IMG Academies. So, you know, predating athletes performance, predating Exos. Mm -hmm. and he kept saying, you really got to get out and see what they're doing down there. They're doing some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Now I looked at it and thought I'm 10 years older than Mark. So at that time I'm 40, he's 30. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, do I really want to go and watch and see what this 30 year old guy is doing? And then I thought, yeah, if he's, if he's doing something that these guys really think is innovative, then I should get down there and watch. And I went down and watched and I came to the conclusion that they were doing some really cool stuff. And I mean, I sat, I just sat on the turf with a notebook for hours at a time, writing down, you know, ideas and writing down thoughts and never getting mad mm -hmm. that Mark was 30 and I was 40. Yeah. Just watching and thinking, hey, this guy's a pretty good coach. He's got a pretty good, he's got a real good brain. He's got a real good thought process. He's doing some really cool stuff. And then sitting down with him after it was over and processing all that with him. But Mark, in the same way, he wasn't looking at me and being whatever, jealous, angry, competitive. And I tell people this story all the time, but it's one of my favorite stories because I get done watching a session, probably, you know, 10 o'clock to 11, 10 to 11.30 or something in the morning. And Mark gets done. He walks over and we're talking. He's like, what are you doing, you know, at one o'clock? And I said, nothing, you know, but my wife and her sister were down there with me. I said, the girl's probably going to, you know, go back to the hotel, go to the beach, do whatever. And he was like, you want to come to this, our staff meeting? I thought that'd be great. I would love to come to your staff meeting. I can, you know, post, hopefully pick up some more ideas. I said, what are we going to do at the staff meeting? He said, um, we're going to ask you questions for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I to myself, that. brilliant, right? Here's a guy who realizes I got a chance to get a free hour clinic out of this guy who's down here. He's been watching me. Now I'm going to flip the table on him. Mm. And, sit, and I got in there and it was, uh, you know, Brandon Marcello and Craig Freeman, all these really good coaches who were the kids at that time. They were just fresh out of school and Mark, and they all got yellow legal pads and they've got all their questions written on it. And we did what you and I are doing right now for an hour. Mm. But, and it's that ability, you know, we could call it networking, but I have people who network and they come for 10 minutes. I, I can tell you, I can't tell you the number of people who've come to the gym and stopped by. I want to stop by and see the place. They look around for a couple minutes and they're like, yeah, I'm going to take off. Yeah. You know, kind of like in 10 minutes, you took in everything we had to offer. <laughs> you know, I guess yeah. we had to offer than I thought. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it's, I should come back and find you still there. Like hours later, I'd come back and be like, wow, Sam's still here. Yeah. And he's still writing notes in that notepad of his, and he's still looking at stuff and thinking about why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we doing it the way that we're doing it? Mm. A great example of the beginner's brain. And it yeah. just gives you, it opens, and, it, and I assume it did there for you, just opens so many opportunities because you go with no agenda and the just the agenda to observe. Yeah. And it, and like you know, tie it into tie it back into the part of the meaning in your book. Imagine if a coach took a look back and actually observed his gym, and observed his program functioning in his gym. You imagine what he'd see. Yeah, and that's I think that's what everybody's doing every day. Mm. But it's amazing that that people don't. Instead, 
they're sort of trying to reverse engineer the gym into the program. Yeah. How can I, how can I slam all this stuff into this little box? Mm. Opposed to just finding something that fits. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's what I would say. The, the, the best program is the one that works in the constraints that you have. Mm. Yeah. And it's that, that ability to become resourceful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you do figure out better ways. We were just talking about, we figured out a way. So for instance, um, Nordic hamstring, uh, Nordstick makes a, an under the door model that you could like close okay. your door. On, right. Yeah. But what we realized is that that under the door model, we can take it apart and slide it under our rack. Nice. Put it out the back side of our rack. So off the back of our rack, we can do our Nordics. And Amazing. we can set up eight Nord sticks mm. all along so that now we've got eight stations to do Nordics. And then we've realized on the other side, we can hook our heels under our dumbbell racks and we can do our Nordic, you know, we're, we're finding ways like, okay, we want to do this exercise. How do we find a way to be mm. able to do this exercise instead of looking at it and thinking, oh, oh, we can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It almost becomes a game. Yeah, you know, goblet squat, it's the same thing. Goblet squat makes more sense. You get lots of dumbbells yeah. and you don't need the rack and you can go, you know, we always think, when do you stop goblet squatting? Well, you stop goblet squatting either when you run out of dumbbells or when you can't pick up the dumbbell, then it's time to do something else. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. We have a little academy and we run the one by 20 system and uh, yes, it's one by 20. And they're like, they say, when do I get to put the barbell? It's like, you see that big weight at the end when you can lift that, then we'll have the conversation about the barbell. And they're like, you get oh, to 20 with the 120. Yeah. They're like, it's going to take forever. It's like, yes, that's the point. That's the exact point. <laughs> the interesting thing about that, though, which is really funny. So I have, I've been training my son and his friends who are now high school seniors here. So they're 18 years old. And mm -hmm. a, seven of them are going to play in, uh, lacrosse in college. Nice. And so I have to start teaching them to back squat, knowing that, you know, normal U.S. college strength and conditioning, all these kids who've never back squatted are probably going to get thrust into something that they've never been exposed to. Mm. But interestingly enough, they all back squat perfectly. They look, if I showed you these guys on day one, you would have thought, wow, these guys have been doing this for a really long time. And I'm like, no, it's the first time they've ever tried it. But yeah. from years of, you know, gobble squats and split squats and deadlifts and whatever, it's they make this beautiful seamless transition to something that that we don't do because we don't like the mobility requirements i think sometimes with most people yet i look at it now and I think oh we have the mobility requirement after a couple of years of doing this so yeah kind of interesting yeah that's a good like kind of like aha moment isn't it what do we like i work with a lot of rugby players like you you can't do some certain things with rugby, like footballers you just can't do it but what if I had, how would my program change? And I think that's where the the lens, we get this, we get this foggy lens of our bias. Like, well, if I if I had all the affordances in an athlete, and if I had had them for long enough, probably things may look different. Well, it's funny. I use it. It's funny you say lens, because I, I just did a talk at the Collegiate Strength Coaches Association last week. And that's one of my slides, you know, is what's your lens? Mm. And I have a picture of a guy looking through a keyhole. I said, it's very different. You know, if, if what you've decided to look through is this tiny little hole 
yeah. then that becomes your lens and you can't see very much. It's really difficult to see out the other side. You're going to see a very narrow view because you've selected a really small, narrow lens. Yeah. And I showed all the different lenses. You know, I said, everybody, I started out with the bodybuilding lens and then I moved into the powerlifting lens and then I moved into the sports performance lens. And it's as you adjust, like you said, maybe it's foggy, but maybe it's just like a camera where you're just thinking, it's not foggy. I just have the wrong lens on. I need to switch the lens. Yeah. Because for me to see the big picture, I need what I really need is to have this wide angle lens mounted on my camera that's going to let me see twice what I saw before. Mm. And I think that's what we don't do as coaches. We, you know, we have this narrow, okay, no, I just want to shoot, you know, I'm going to shoot still life. So I'm going to shoot the same pictures of something on my table over and over again. Yeah. And realizing, wow, I can go out and shoot you know, seascapes or landscapes or whatever I want, you know, and, yeah. and see so much more. And I think that's, it's exactly the same in strength and conditioning. Mm. Have some incredibly, I mean, we, we probably more so than many professions have some incredibly narrow minded people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree. You might reminded me of an experience. I am. Um, and listeners will know on my, podcast we dance around with all different topics but i have i had a, I have a therapist and um i went through some tough stuff as people do and i used to sit in her office right and i would stare i wouldn't look at her because i didn't really want to be there but i knew it was good for me like a lot of athletes in weight rooms right and i there was three pictures on the wall and there were uh, piles of stones i was there for six months right every week for six months before i realized they were all the same pile of stones just taken from different angles I was like, I'm, I'm cured. I'm cured. <laughs> but it, it was, it's always something that I go back to, to challenge my, in my own thinking. How, am I looking at the three stones in the right way? It's something that I always kind of anchor, anchor to, to myself. Um, and you just reminded me of that. Cause I, I kind of laughed at myself at that point. It's like. Change, That's a great analogy though, right? It's mm. like the, the pictures. Have you seen that? The, they have like picture within a picture one you see an old ugly old lady and the other one you see a beautiful woman and you yeah. don't see the beautiful woman until someone says that she's in that picture yeah and particularly again if you think about mindset if you mm. look like you said you know at one point you're in a bad place if i showed you that picture you'd be like oh my god that look at that ugly old woman that'd probably be the first thing that you saw whereas yeah. if we brought someone else who may be in a brighter place they might look and think no mm. that's a, that's a beautiful girl yeah and yeah. he's showing you like, hey, look over here. You know, there's your nose, here's your face, and you thinking, oh my god, I'm looking, I'm looking at the right side of the picture, and it's a, it's an old hag. <laughs> and I love that. It's one of those things that I, I always feel like it should be in every presentation, mm. so everybody has to look at it and realize, wow, it really does depend, like you said, on your lens, on how you look at the picture, and even maybe, as you said, maybe just the mental state that you're in. Yeah, choose to look at it. Uh, because mm -hmm. I always said, you know, one of the things about strength and conditioning is it's a lot of self-absorbed people because it's generally mm -hmm. the people that are coming to strength and conditioning. I always feel like we were all trying to fix something in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And some of that may have been more, more self-image than performance at some mm -hmm. point, mm -hmm. or maybe it was, you know, I, I want better relationships. I want to look better. So, so girls like me, but there's, yeah. there's something that draws you to strength and conditioning that a lot of times I think isn't a positive. Mm -hmm. And then when that person becomes a coach, I think they're, they carry that baggage around with them. Yeah. Oftentimes forever. 
and never yeah. really beyond that. You know, mm. I look at all the guys still that, you know, that are walking around, you know, in tight clothes or, you know, wearing hoodies when they're lifting and think, man, like, this is all an act. Like, this is part of your, your like, cool weight room guy act. Yeah. And, and that's really not, it, it's not a great show for everybody else. Mm. It makes you look like a dank. I hate to say it, but yeah. <laughs> a yeah. wanker, I guess, would be your. Uh, that's it. I love uh, that. But there's no. so many of those people, like, we're, we're our part, our field has an overabundance of those types of people mm -hmm. and it makes it, I think it makes it even more difficult to, to create change. Yeah. I, I love that. Like the mindset side of things is, is huge for me. Um, and because just of my own career, like leaving jobs, losing jobs, creating your own jobs, and it, it gives you this perspective and you always, I, you know, you do feel that you've hit the nail on the head there that a lot of people get into coaching, um, you know, sometimes through the disappointment of their own athletic career as well. And then or the tragedy of that is that they give up their own hobbies and put their their winning mentality in the hands of other athletes that they coach. Yeah, I mean, I think and and what generally I always think what makes you successful at that is what also what makes you crazy. Yeah. Because it's your ability to to compromise relationships and to, to do things. You literally do things that other people wouldn't do. Mm. And I think that's absolutely essential to early success. And then probably also the, the key to late failure in terms of yeah. you can't turn that back off again. You can't look at those things and think, okay, this is what made... I'm successful because I was willing to work 12 hours a day or sleep in the office or make some kind of crazy commute to get to this job or make mm -hmm. some outrageous commitment for no money or whatever it was. And, and but then yeah. that becomes you and your standard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you realize, wow, this is really disrupting my progression as a human being. Yeah. And that looks like you, I've been, I've been through that too. I always say like, how, how do you, uh, how do you know, that you're in the presence of a, of a strength and conditioning coach in the gym, they have a book of stoicism in their bag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it, it, it's the continual validation, which, and you do like, you know, we all didn't go to girlfriend. I, I remember the time I first worked on one of my girlfriend's birthdays. And never again, <laughs> you know, and it was oh, I, just, I did all of that and more. Yeah. You know, with, you know, with a wife, with children, with, I mean, and thinking that it was all good. Mm. And then realizing that in, in point of fact, you know, you talk about therapist to therapist that we went to, I remember her looking at me and saying, and so you think that's good. And it's just very matter of factly. And I was kind of like, uh, yeah, I do. And she was like, you know, we got work to do. Yeah, no, I love that. So, but it's, 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 and I, thank you for for sharing briefly on that because it's part of our industry that's not really spoke about because of all those other reasons mm. um that, we, that we've just you just spoke about I have lots of coach you know, you know i have my my legacy group and anyone they come to me with a problem turn off your phone for three days get off social media talk to a human being reconnect <laughs> and and then tell me how you feel yeah i mean but it is i mean i've the last five or six years i've gotten much more comfortable about talking to people about my personal life and my personal struggles, because I think it is helpful for people to hear that 
that people that they perceive to have all their shit together yeah don't yeah and the when you ones. realize that it it makes it makes people feel better yeah everybody has i mean everybody's going to have their problems yeah well without a doubt i had a wonderful conversation with scott livingston i think he spoke with the a conference you were at recently yeah he just spoke yeah. i've known scott for a long time yeah great yeah. guy um i was on his podcast and then like yeah just big shout out to scott um but to, to go back to lenses i think all the reconditioning stuff with the rehab and and how you know that process for a coach is almost a, a growth experience in itself let alone an athlete oh yeah i, I mean i was thinking about that today I, I, I was reading something about you know one well two things i'm going to say scott's probably the best interviewer that i've heard in terms of he does an amazing job of drawing people into conversations. I've listened to some great episodes of his Leave Your Mark with friends of mine that I knew really well and mm -hmm. found out things. You know, Scott finds out things in an hour that I yeah. didn't find out in 30 years. It, mm -hmm. So he's really, really good at that. But it's, um, as you said, it's it's pulling people into the conversation and getting the difficulty out and and making it, I guess a more part of the normal conversation because everybody mm. has it. Everybody struggles. Mm. Mm. And anybody who doesn't is a liar. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're doing. But I've had, uh, I remember I got the chance to work with our women's Olympic soccer team in 2004. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, Mia Hamm and Julie Foudy and all the, like all the greatest American players ever were in that group. And I was talking to, to be at one time and I don't even know how we got on the subject but we were talking about kind of self-doubt and imposter syndrome and and I was sitting here thinking one I can't believe I'm having this conversation with the greatest player in the history of the United States mm -hmm. and uh and she looks at me and she said the greater the artist the greater the doubt she said complete confidence is given to the lesser skilled as a consolation prize and I was like huh it's like that's unbelievable where'd that come from she said oh that's from my sports psychologist and I was like so you're telling me that like you have doubts and she was like, oh, you have no idea. And I mm. just, it, like you said, it was so relieving. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I'm in the presence of our greatest female player, maybe the greatest female player in history, not just in the US, but in the history of the game. Mm. And she's talking about her conversations with her sports psychologist where she's questioning herself. And you just realize, I don't know how we got to that from Scott. Sorry, but Scott's- No, it's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful uh, it, but scott does a really good job like you said you know we were talking about reconditioning but i mean reconditioning has become a thing it's like my favorite thing it's what i started doing in pro sports mainly because we found that our trainers and therapists didn't have time yeah so a lot of times you know i got the scrap heap guy mm -hmm. so the guy that was like okay you know he got his treatment he's not gonna be able to play for however many months you know, it was kind of like, you know, uh, Mike, can you can you entertain him for a couple of hours a day while he's trying to, you know, while we're trying to figure out what to do next? And then I got really good. That same thing. So what did I do? I can still remember now this guy, Cam Neely, who's now president of the Boston Bruins, but he was in exactly that situation. Long-term injury. I didn't really understand what was wrong with him at that time. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, I don't like not understanding. So mm -hmm. I threw myself into this whole functional training idea, you know, patellofemoral mechanics, all these things. I went to Gary Gray courses. I just started trying to find it. I called everybody I knew and said, wait, I got this guy with this weird knee thing, mm. you know, 
nobody seems to be able to get him better. But suddenly there I am six months later, an expert on knee rehab, and this guy's getting better. Yeah. And now I'm functioning kind of like I'm the, I'm the physical therapist and I'm kind of like, ah, you know, I'm not a physical therapist, but I play one on TV. It's like, I'm, I'm a strength coach. I'm an athletic trainer. Right. But now I'm in charge of the rehab because yeah. I just went out and started flipping the rocks over and looking around and saying, well, wait a second, who knows, who knows what about this? Yeah. And, and I just don't think enough people in our field do that. I don't think enough people in the profession look and say, okay, I know this is not my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make it my area of expertise in the next however many months because I'm tasked with this yep. particular job assignment. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly probably the best thing that ever happened to me was getting guys with bad backs and guys with bad knees and guys with shoulder problems because I was forced to go out and learn not just strength and conditioning, but you know what Scott now is to, it's obviously taken to another level and you know reconditioning. I remember I did a talk on reconditioning. I bet I did it twenty years ago. I performed better. Mm -hmm. And talking about you know how and, and what was recon reconditioning was what we call functional training because it was sort of okay. I got this guy who's he's not seemed to tolerate these conventional barbell exercises that have always been my my arsenal. These are the things that I could use. This guy, it, they don't work for him. Mm -hmm. And now I've got to use, I've got to blend physical therapy with strength and conditioning because physical therapy kind of gets me to, you know, here. Mm -hmm. And now I got to get this guy to here. Mm -hmm. How do I do that? And it's a, well, I probably extend this physical therapy idea into my world, which yeah. is basically what I've done now. And that's what people would look at and say, oh, you've combined the, you know, the conventional strength and conditioning stuff with therapy. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly what I did. But out of necessity, out of the fact that, hey, I've got some guys who who aren't getting better, the the normal mm. way or the way we thought you were supposed to do it. Yeah. Man, that's, that's brilliant. I, I'm conscious of your time. Um, oh, it's funny. It's amazing how we can rip through an hour, huh? Yeah. Was, 40 minutes. It was 40 minutes was a good goal. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's wonderful. And just just for the listeners, um, I'll put your book directly from your website link in the show notes. Um, I think it will be a masterclass in logic, thinking, and efficiency. We'll put it. We'll put I, it down I, to that. Not a great promoter, but I agree with you. And actually, you can just put up. There's an Amazon. I believe there's an Amazon UK link that you can use okay. because everything now that we talk about how publishing has changed. This is a publish on demand via Amazon book. Mm -hmm. So. They, you order it. I think you order it and they print it and sell it to you. I'm not exactly sure how the whole thing works, but that's what they told me. So that's awesome. So we got the book in the pipeline. Are you planning on coming over to the UK anytime soon? I, you know, it's interesting. I just might because my son is finally going off to college. I've been kind of involved in this, really heavily involved in this parent thing for the last 10 years. Yeah. And suddenly now we're going to be empty nesters. So I think we may travel some more. So yeah, I'm actually trying to think I got another guy in Italy that's been trying to get me to go over there too. And my wife likes Italy. So um, mm. maybe we'll plan a UK trip to go with it. I actually have, I think I have to look it up. I have plane tickets to, uh, to the UK that I bought at an auction at my, the college that I went to at Springfield college. And nice. uh, I probably can still use them. Well, I'm by the beach. We'll have a beer, talk training. Okay, um, where, maybe uh, 
Where are you geographically? The South Coast, right on the South Coast. Um, so it's about half an hour from Gatwick now. Um, and maybe we could invite some of our, our friends to to come and come and join us in that conversation. That could be quite interesting. All right. <laughs> Brilliant. It. Cool. Thanks Thank you. Thank you, Coach Mike. Thank you, everyone else, for listening. Remember, like it, share it, send it to all of your friends. Uh, and don't forget to sign up to the wait list of the Sports Speed Training System books coming out soon. Thank you so much. <laughs>